Friends, as we've gathered here this morning, there's a number of people that, as I mentioned, were a little bit sunburned, a little bit uh, weary from the festivities yesterday, but I thought it was just appropriate, and it sounds that from our uh, sharing today, so many anniversaries of God's goodness in bringing couples together for uh, life lived together by the grace of God in marriage. And yesterday, seeing Jillian and Caleb uh, uh, make their vows, make those special lifelong promises to one another to commit their lives to caring for one another, I was encouraged to just uh, speak on uh, God's <clears throat> wonderful gift of marriage because I believe it is one of God's great gifts to, to humankind. And in many ways, <clears throat> it's an essential gift that we would not be here without that as part of God's good creation. Yesterday at the, uh, at the uh, reception, uh, reflecting on, on uh, a talk that he had had with, with uh, Caleb's, Caleb's father, Tom Anders, uh, Pastor Tom did the ceremony and he was talking to Trevor, Marlon's brother, uh, in the intervening time between the ceremony and the reception. And Trevor reflected on the fact that they had a good talk and part of it was about marriage. And he mentioned a word, he says that in our society, marriage really is in turmoil. And we have seen that in as part of the culture wars for the last number of years, where everything good and caring and traditional seems to be purposely, and it is purposely, being torn down and remade in man's fallen image. And uh, marriages is one of the victims of that, the so-called turmoil of marriage. Well, in society as a whole, secular society, the concept of marriage, and I'm talking primarily in Western society, Western society, uh, postmodern society, post-Christian society, narcissistic society, decadent, sinful society. That's the direction we're going where things that are obviously true are being denied and people are being forced to accept obvious lies about the nature of reality around them. And marriage is part of that. You talk about marriage and it's confusing, divisive. Marriage these days can mean anything. In Canada, as many of the Western societies, we legalized and celebrate same-sex marriage. Well, marriage goes beyond that. We know, I, I, I saw a, a, a serious article. At first, it seems like a, a parody article, but a serious article about a woman who nobody had met her standard. She believed in marriage, and so not finding anybody who lived up to her standards, she married herself. <laughs> Self-marriage. There's a lady in Israel, fought for the rights, took it to the Supreme Court of Israel for her right to marry a dolphin. Now, I don't even want to think about that, but it just seems so confusing and so crazy. People are asked to accept anything as marriage. And I say, well, let people have civil unions or legal contracts or whatever they want to enter into because as a pastor of the New Testament covenant and the gospel, much of that is not really my concern except as a observer of the, the decline of culture. But... When we talk to marriage, people, when it means everything, it comes to mean nothing. And that really has been the strategy of a large part of radical agendas is to make marriage mean nothing. Tear down the meaning of it 
and the importance of it as a foundation of our society. And I think that's a big important part. So I think it's good for us to revisit again and again the Bible's teaching on marriage. Because despite what humankind thinks, that we can define something any way we want, the reality is marriage is not our idea. It's God's idea. It's part and parcel of His creation. His good and perfect creation. We're told as brothers and sisters in Christ that we, whether we're married or not, the concept and the institution instituted by God of marriage is something that we should champion and that we should honor. For instance, the very end of Hebrews, the book of Hebrews chapter 13, there's a number of injunctions the author of Hebrews is giving the readers. One of them found in verse 4 says marriage should be honored by all. And the marriage bed kept pure. For God will judge the adulterer and all the sexually immoral. And this is writing to believers. But we know that reality and that truth would be a blessing to society if lived in God's way as well. Marriage should be honored by all. The pure Marriage bed, of course, speaks of a committed monogamous relationship between a man and a woman as shown to us in Scripture, but that will get you banned from speaking in many places, that simple point of view. Well, looking at marriage today, we want to talk basically, remind ourselves once again, it's good to talk about the actual in the face of so many counterfeits. We want to look at the genuine, God's teaching on marriage, the nature of it. I've called today's message, give or take. Now, now, sometimes we use that phrase, well, when we're estimating something. Well, give or take, it's about this much. But marriage, the question for many people is, is it primarily giving or is it a contract that you take to get something? You give in order to get something, give and take or give or take? What is the nature of marriage itself? Let's go to Jesus' teaching. I love our Lord. He he teaches so clearly. Nobody ever taught as he did, as one with authority. And Jesus teaches, when it comes to marriage, that God created marriage. It was his idea. It was part of creating humankind, man and woman. Mankind was made in such a way as this. Jesus, in teaching that, says in Mark 10, and he puts it powerfully in Mark 10. I'll preface it with a verse that's not on the screen. Jesus was responding to a question about divorce and how Moses allowed divorce in certain situations. Jesus says in verse 5, It was because your hearts were hard that Moses wrote you this law, Jesus replied. But at the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. For this reason, man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife. And the two will become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one. Therefore, take note of this, what God has joined together. Let man not separate. Jesus says, God does it. The marriage in God's way is something that God is involved in. In fact, it is an act of God mirroring, reflecting, and echoing our creation. 
as man and woman. Where man is incomplete and then God completes us, male and female, that age-old miracle, God does it again when He unites man and woman and they become one in marriage. What God has joined. That is a powerful phrase. And that has implications as we see as we go along in the message today. Well, reflecting on what Jesus is quoting and referring to, we have to go back to the book of beginnings. That's what the Greek word genesis means. Genesis, it means beginnings. It's the beginning of mankind, the beginning of marriage, the beginning of everything is recorded for us in the book of beginnings, the book of Genesis. And in Genesis chapter 2, beginning in verse 20, we are told about the creation of mankind, the creation of marriage. It says in verse 20, man has been created, Adam, and he's busy. It says verse 20, so the man gave names to all the livestock, the birds of the air, and all the beasts of the field. But for Adam, no suitable helper was found. So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. And while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs and closed up the place with flesh. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib he had taken out of the man, and he brought her to the man. The man said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and they will become one flesh. And the reflection after done, it says the man and his wife were both naked and they felt no shame, nor should they because they were one. Nothing hidden, nothing to hide. They're complete. They're one. The beautiful creation of marriage as part of the creation of us, mankind. It's part of our story. It's woven throughout nature. In fact, most of you don't realize that back in the 1500s, people like Martin Luther, the great reformer, was already in modern language, he was already teaching that, that gender and sexuality is not a choice, that there is a normative binary built into all creation. Believe it or not. Here's what Luther said. He said, God has set the type of marriage, that is, there's an anti-type and a reflection, a type. God has set the type of marriage everywhere throughout the creation. Every creature seeks its perfection in another. The very heavens and earth picture it to us. Male and female, He created them. We often think of that among fauna, but those of you who are agronomists or know flora, that part of creation, know that there are certain trees, they won't bear fruit or they bear fruit differently. Well, there's male trees and female trees. It just goes on and on. And Luther seeing that says it's a reflection of how God made us. We're part of creation. And we find our perfection, our wholeness, our completeness in another when God brings man and woman together in His sight. It's a beautiful thing. Now Jesus says it's God's idea and God's creation. But in the New Testament time, we who live, testament remembers another word for covenant. The Greek word diatheke, diatheke means testament or covenant. 
in the light of the new covenant that Jesus has instituted through His sacrifice on the cross for us, the Bible teaches us now that the pattern for marriage is also the pattern for Jesus' relationship to His bride, the church. The two reflect one another. We are a pale reflection in our marriage of Jesus' love for the church, but that's what we strive for. That sacrificial, giving love of Jesus. It's sad that when it comes to the marriage teaching in the New Testament, people want to fight over it because of uh, maybe uh, an equality rather than egalitarian, complementarian view of male and female relationships and power structures in marriage. We add all of this and we overthink it, but it simply says, submit to one another. Serve one another as God has made you. Like Jesus serves the church. A sacrificial love. This is what Paul is teaching in Ephesians chapter 5, beginning in verse 25, when he says, Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave Himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the Word and to present her to Himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated his own body, but he feeds and cares for it just as Christ does the church. For we are members of his body. Husbands and wives, there's a unity there. And when we care for one another, we care for that oneness, that unity that God has created in us. It's a wonderful thing. Speaking of that marriage covenant sacrificial love relationship, a longtime pastor, now retired to being an author and teacher, John Piper says, staying married, therefore, is not mainly about staying in love. It is about keeping covenant till death do us part, or as long as we both shall live, is a sacred covenant promise. The same kind Jesus made with his bride when he died for her. And we saw that yesterday as those young people, oh, so young. I think I was a little younger when I got married, but they look so young to me from my old eyes now. And they stand before us and they say in the presence of God and these witnesses, and they make lifelong covenant promises. That's how we Christians enter into it as well as much of the world. Unfortunately, our divorce rate is little to no different at all than the rest of the world. So somewhere along the line, we treat our spouses not in a covenant way. We treat them less. We use them and take from them. And by our actions, we do not keep faith to those covenant promises that we have made. Well, the heartbreak I've set with many believers whose, whose spouses have broken those covenant promises and the marriage comes to an end. Because we enter into it. Nobody says, till death to us part, thinking that one day they're just going to decide to do something different. It's a painful thing. I feel great empathy for those who go through that. It's like experiencing a death. You go through grief because you are grieving 
the marriage. It's a hard thing. And we need to walk with people who go through this loss and care for them. John Piper uses that word though, that C word, covenant. Marriage is a covenant. It's based on Jesus' covenant relationship. We celebrate that covenant relationship at the communion table. This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Jesus, God Himself, is making an agreement, a bond with believers. That sacred bond, that ancient form of agreement is a covenant. Covenant, apart from calling it the last will and testament, is very rarely used in our society today, but it is very prevalent throughout the ancient world and the world of the Bible. And the fact is, I want to make the point that marriage is more than a contract, it is a covenant. That sacred, ancient form of agreement. It certainly has contract aspects to it. It certainly does. Uh, there's a legal understanding which you can take to a court of law, the disposition of property, the custody and care of children and so forth. There's a lot of contractual parts, just even the social contract that a community recognizes a couple is married. There's a lot of contractual parts of marriage. Don't get me wrong. But as God has designed it, it is primarily covenant. It's a covenant. And you say, some people say, well, does it say that in the Bible? Oh, it does. It does. It treats marriage as a sacred covenant. For instance, an aspect of covenants from the ancient world is that the promises and vows you make on behalf of the other, you give yourself willingly on behalf of the other. Part of that is you understand that Failing to meet your covenant obligations, there is blessing and curse connected to it. When you keep your covenant, God blesses you. But when you break faith in a covenant, the curse aspect, things do not go well with you. You suffer as a result of it. This is seen so clearly in, of all places, the book of Malachi. Malachi. The priests of Malachi's time, they were wondering and praying and weeping that God was not blessing them as they thought they were due to be blessed. And the Lord says through Malachi, why would I bless you? You have broken your covenant. And they were concerned about their covenant with God. The Abrahamic covenant. But God says, you've broken another covenant. Covenant of marriage. Verse 13, Malachi 2, another thing you do, this is God speaking to them so bluntly, you flood the Lord's altar with tears. You weep and wail because He no longer pays attention to your offerings or accepts them with pleasure from your hands. You ask, why? It is because the Lord is acting as the witness between you and the wife of your youth because you have broken faith with her though she is your partner, the wife of your marriage covenant. Can't put it any more clearly. They have broken their covenant with the wife of their youth, precious person that God has brought into their lives. So if marriage is a covenant, 
How should we live it and experience it and take care of it and even view it? Well, I've shared it with the church before, but my eyes were open to this. Back in 2003, Dr. Gary Chapman wrote a book called Covenant Marriage. And in that wonderful book, which there are many other books written along the same line since then, but all of them really use that as their touchstone. In that, Dr. Chapman compared, and we know Dr. Chapman, Gary Chapman's better known for the five languages of love. He's a very wise counselor. He says that marriage, though it has contractual parts, God designed it to be a covenant. And I'll go through some of the characteristics very briefly that he speaks about. Characteristics of contracts. We're all familiar with contracts. Every time you go up to that drive through window at Burger King, you make a contract. You give them money, and they give you a delicious and unhealthy piece of food to eat. Mm -hmm. you got to be careful, though. They may not keep their contract. There was a Burger King in Medicine Hat. Every time we went through the drive through we had to stop, count the burgers, count everything, because they always got it wrong. Always. That wasn't possibility. It was a certainty. And so we say, you broke your covenant with no contract. We went back, always repaired it. Contracts we're familiar with. You give something to get something. That's the basic of it. Dr. Chapman said contracts are motivated by a desire to get something. That's the money that makes the world go around. It's all contract outlook. Contracts are often made for a limited period of time. They're not lifelong. They're for a period of time. Perhaps it's a lease contract. Contracts often deal with specific actions. One portion of your life, whether it be financial or an obligation you do, some contract you make, it's for a specific action. And really, contracts are based on an if-then mentality. If you do this, then I'll do this. But you are the focus of it. You are giving in order to get for yourself. It's about you. And that's just natural. That's how the humans live. Contract mentality. The problem, as Dr. Chapman saw it, is that we bring contract mentality to our marriages. And I often wondered about that. Contracts are made by lawyers. Now you come to me as a pastor and you say, I want to get married. Well, I'm a pastor. I'll help you with your covenant before God. But when you get tired of that, it's not a covenant anymore. You go to the lawyer and it's now just a contract. You are now disposing of a contract. That's why many pastors over the years, they begin to quit doing marriages. Because say, if you're going to treat it like a contract, you go down to city hall. You go to a justice of the peace or some other officiant that will help you legally enter into a contract with prenuptial agreements and so forth. Well, I don't go that far, but I recognize that people come to you to start a marriage covenant-wise, and then they go to the lawyer to break their contract. If they do that, how were they living that marriage? Was it as a contract? Very likely. Well, Dr. Chapman shares characteristics of covenants based on those covenants. And there's many covenants in the Bible. Some are unilateral. God makes a covenant with us. We don't make it back with God. He, we have nothing that He needs from us. It's a unilateral. Some covenants are bilateral and so forth. But when it comes to the marriage covenant, its characteristics are this way. 
First, these covenants are initiated for the benefit of the other person. The other party is the focus. You find that person, God has laid them on your heart, brought them to you, and you want to do your best for them. And you think part of that is to be their spouse. It's motivated for the benefit of the other person. And that's completely upside down from contract thinking. In covenants, people make unconditional promises. To love, to honor, to cherish. Till death do us part. You don't say to love, honor, cherish if you do this then I'll give you this. It's an unconditional promise. It is a vow you lay upon yourself. That's your obligation. Despite what they do or don't do, your promise, like love, God's love, is unconditional. Covenant relationships are based on steadfast love. Not a love that is purely emotional. Here today, gone tomorrow, depends on my blood sugar level, how I feel about you today. Steadfast love. And that's a sacrificial commitment to the well-being of your beloved. How Jesus loves the church. (laughs) We will be His radiant bride, but we're not there yet. We We don't nearly approach it yet, but His love is steadfast. And finally, we see covenant relationships view commitment as permanent. Till death do us part. There's not the end date of a contract. The expiry date is not built into it. It's when God takes us home. Covenant relationships, they require accountability and forgiveness because we all stumble. We all struggle. We're humans. We don't keep our promise, our covenants perfectly. And so built into that is communication. We repent. We forgive. Forgive as God forgave you but we hold one another accountable not to punish, but to forgive and to grow from that. Friends, do you see how God's way of covenant is so different from how the world views marriage today? It's incredible. I finish with God's basic purpose for marriage. Why bother? There are many people, people are cohabitating, living together. Many people are avoiding marriage though. They don't want that level of commitment. But I think it's it's healthy. It's good. It's the best way of living. In fact, Scripture reveals for you not to be married, God should give you the gift of celibacy to allow you not to find your perfection in being united with another person. That's a special gift separate from the normative, which is to enter into a sacrificial love relationship, a covenant for all our lives. Well, those of you who have been married 58 years, this is where I should call you up to to share the truth of this. That in all these years of marriage, it begins to become one. One flesh. Intimacy is God's God's important gift of marriage. It's first and foremost for intimacy. Genesis chapter 2, verse 18 The beginning of that says, The Lord God said, It is not good for the man to be alone. He's created us to be in relationship, 
to know intimacy. God Himself, Father, Son, Spirit, the triune one God has relationship and intimacy as part of His perfect holy nature. And He wants us to experience the care for others and in turn to be cared for by the other as well. Beautiful intimacy. Somebody knowing you and accepting you for who you really are. For who you really are. Not only intimacy, but we need help. We need help in living life. Living our lives. And you know, the longer you go on, the more help you need. But it's so wonderful to walk through and live with one another and share your ups and downs and your needs and your aches and your pains to have a helper along the way. As Pastor Tom shared from God's Word from Ecclesiastes chapter 4, you know, the, 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 the truth that a cord of three strands is not easily broken. Covenants are always entered into sacred covenants with God as part of the relationship. Man, woman, and God make a covenant marriage. And we find that help for living from God through our partner oftentimes. To continue the verse, Genesis 2.18, God says it's not good for man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. Suitable. Word doesn't do it justice. A helper perfect for one another. And that's not just the focus on the man. The man is to be the helper perfect and suitable for his wife. Help for living our lives. And from that wonderful intimacy and helpful relationship, caring for one another, God blesses us with children. That great gift. Oh, we had so much fun this weekend with, uh, with, uh, Andy and Sarah, longtime friends, uh, come down for the, or come up for the wedding and they have four little children. They have Eleanor and they have Miles and they have six and a half month old twin girls, Lily and Cora. Oh, these kids just steal your heart. What a blessing. And Brian and Betty are here this morning. That's their grandchildren. And that's all their grandchildren in the world. And I told the kids this morning, I said, that's Brian and Betty's, all their grandchildren. All of them are right here in our house. I said, and if you had raised some little rotters, how disappointing that would be for Brian and Betty. But you gave them incredibly good grandchildren. Well, I don't think there's a bad grandchild. I just don't. What a blessing. But you know, to get to those wonderful gift of grandchildren... Yeah, you got to put the hard work in, don't you? Children. Yeah, children. Those greatest joys and greatest struggles in lives. And yet, that's what comes from a covenant marriage. That's God's design for the family to be the foundation of all human society. And when we see cultures struggle, and you can see them every day in the media, there's certain cultures that are struggling. It's because the family foundation is broken. Generally, its fathers are absent from the picture. They don't value their wife, their baby mama. It's hit and run. They walk away. And society breaks down because the foundation will not hold. The family structure to nurture and grow up children, that is 
the marriage. When God created us male and female, it says in Genesis chapter 1, verse, beginning in verse 27, so God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. To be stewards of creation takes a fair number of us. And God gives us His blessing in the form of children. The next generation coming through our love in covenant marriage. And finally, we don't often think about it, but I think it's powerful. A healthy, loving Christian marriage lived as a covenant for all the world to see. What greater witness is there in this hurting world today? As Jesus says in Matthew 5, the Sermon on the Mount, the importance of witness for all the world to see. Jesus says in beginning in verse 14, You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on a stand. It gives light to everyone in the house in the same way. Let your light shine before men that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. And living a loving, sacrificial life in marriage and family life is the good deeds God is speaking of. Such an important part in our society. John Stang is a is an author, a teacher, and a Christian counselor. And he put it so clearly and so well. He says, have a good and godly marriage that shows the world Christ's love through how you sacrificially love and serve one another. Amen to that. Friends, let's honor God's gift of marriage. Let's be faithful to it. Let's live it out for all the world to see. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, Lord, we are so thankful this weekend. We were able to see with our eyes and experience the joy of two becoming one in the sight of Jesus. Lord, we thank you for the two lives and the two families that came together. We thank you for your blessing, Lord, because it reminds us of Jesus' love for us. We, the church, are his bride. And Lord, he desires to bring us all home that we may live in joy forever. But Lord, till then, may our earthly marriages be entered into with the attitude that it's a covenant, not a contract. And that Lord, we are here to show and share Christ-like sacrificial love for one another. Father, this truth, the world may speak against it, even despise it, but, oh Lord, how the world needs this truth. Father, be with us today. None of our marriages are perfect. Some of us, Father, have experienced the loss of a marriage and it brings grief like death to us. But Lord, nothing is beyond your, your reach. Lord, bring comfort to those who need comfort, need strength and healing. Bring forgiveness to our relationships that we may grow and see ourselves 
as people in covenant with God and one another. Lord, this is our prayer. And we pray it all in Jesus' loving name. Amen. God bless.